0: God, we thank you that you know where we're at. God, we thank you that you know our hopes and our fears. We thank you that you are with us in all things, in ways that we see and in ways that we do not yet understand. Help us, Lord, as we read your word. May it nourish us spiritually. May your word be alive in us, reshaping our minds on that which is vital, that which is life-affirming, that which you call us to be as we look at this year ahead. Holy Spirit, draw near to us and continues to speak to us now. In your grace and in your love, we pray. Amen. This is an opportunity when we have an academic year starting to say, how are we looking at this new year? I wonder what we're feeling about Things getting going again in September. I've already expressed to you my own thoughts of qualms. I'm not quite up to speed yet. Um, Please don't remind me. Yes, of course, I haven't quite got there yet. I know, I know. I've got a list of things, and it's looking quite busy. I wonder how you're feeling about this year ahead. Is it a year where you're going to join Jonathan and get fit? He's not here to hear that. Is it a year in which you say "Well, I need to lose a bit of weight I need to do something with my job I need to get a a job I need to get a better job I need to redecorate the bathroom What is it that's on your mind as we start a new year? And as Christians do we have aspirations or hopes as we begin this year 2012-2013? How we long for mountaintop experiences where emotionally and spiritually we feel close to God. I'd love to be able to say, let's let's have them, but these are gifts by God that God gives in God's time. I'd love to say that life in this year will be easier, but I can't say that. Sometimes we think about growing, and I think it's a good time of year, particularly with the, with the children and young people. They are growing in many ways, but how are we growing? Is, is growing something that we're going to do this year? Sometimes the word growth, however, is maybe not the most helpful or the only way of describing our lives. And I think with the financial crisis, we've realized that you can't continue on growing. It's a naivety about saying things that life is only about growth. Growth is not the only way of describing the Christian life. So those of you that feel daunted or feel less than a Christian athlete this morning, God in his grace and goodness says that's okay. I know what you're like, where you're at. We were in the garden yesterday, um, and I don't get out there often enough. And I feel that in some ways we're struggling to maintain it, our garden. Uh, my mother's forever down pointing out what I haven't done. If you've got a moment, please come and help us with some of the weeds, but you've probably got your own weeds to be looking after. Sorry, I've reminded you about that. But maybe that's, some, that's where we're, some of us are at as we look at September. Maintaining where we're at. Looking to make sure that what we want to be central is central in our lives, and it's not easy. That's why I'm excited that our passage for today isn't Paul being aspirational and saying, run with me this race, but it's James saying, be faithful, live practical lives, and be true to the person God's made you to be. That's what James is about. This book of James is very practical. It's about everyday living but living by faith in our everyday lives. A faith that says, God, change me from the inside out. Develop my character and help me to work out the appropriate way of responding as a Christian in each and every situation that I'm in, whether I'm shopping, whether I'm listening to stuff, whether I'm with my kids. God, give me that wisdom for the everyday journey of life. Some of us looking for direction. When we, in the vine, the children move on, we have this prayer as they go on to secondary school. God of love, life and laughter, help me to find my place in your world, to cherish where I've come from, and to embrace the life that is ahead of me, knowing that you are with me. There's an article in the New York Times this month written by somebody um, called Confused in Columbus. That was their name. He was, uh, built a successful business but was wondering who would get the credit for that. He was asking the question, how much of the success is down to me or is it other forces beyond me? And David Brooks, an author, was commenting on the different stages of life and the challenges and the ways that we look at things depending on whether we're jumping up whether we're stroking our chins or whether we're in a, in a bit of a turn turning circle. He suggests in our 20s, we can easily have the illusion that we are in complete control of our life. But by the time we get to the 30s and 40s, we might realise that institutional forces, the sites of school and the like, have shaped us significantly. In our 50s and 60s, we discover how much we've benefited from personal relationships and professional mentors. In our 70s and 80s, we acknowledge how the ancient traditions of people have shaped us. In short, Brooke concludes, as maturity develops and the perspectives widen, the smaller the power of the individual appears and the greater the power of those forces flowing through the individual. In our passage in James this morning, we're looking at James chapter 1. And the reading for this week emphasizes a special danger, a particular danger for religious people, and that is self-deception. Sincerity and earnestness are necessary components of a life of faith, but they are by no means sufficient. James reminds us three times how easy it is to deceive ourselves. As Christians, we can be condescending of others. We can be naive. Sometimes it seems, I've, I've been with other Christians, and I sometimes think, what world are they living in? <laughs> but then we ask the questions of ourselves. Sometimes I've been with, with Christians who haven't, doesn't seem to be loving the world and the people around them. They're so taken up with the busyness of the church activities. But it's difficult to see truth always. And it's easy to be deceived. James, in the passage you've read, sees three times that we can be deceived. Don't be deceived, is how Alison started off the reading. Don't be deceived in sixteen Because all good gifts in your life come from the Father above. Christians don't believe in self-made people. All good gifts in our lives come from our father above don't be deceived remember all that god has given us in the ways that god has made us who we are when we were little in our friendships in our workplaces in the challenges as well as the joys of life all good things come from god above don't be deceived secondly in chapter verse 22 of our chapter don't deceive yourself, James says, turning his kaleidoscope to a different perspective. Don't merely listen to the gospel story, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. To listen without doing is like looking at your face in the mirror, walking away, and forgetting what you look like. Don't deceive yourselves. Don't merely listen to the gospel, but do what it says. And the third time, James says, don't deceive yourself. If you consider yourself religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on your tongue, James contrasts worthless religion with the faultless religion of caring for widows and orphans. Aspects of our life as Christians, our life and service, which is unseen. Those areas of things that we do for people that nobody else knows about. And how easy it is as we talk to give the impression that we are someone grand and doing great things. In chapter 3 of James, he re- re- likens likens the, the tongue to a rudder of a ship or a tiny spark that can ignite a huge forest fire. Don't deceive ourselves as we begin this new year. The epistle of James has had a sketchy history in the church. Many people think it's pretty much like Jewish wisdom literature more than the Christian gospel. They say, where is Jesus mentioned in the book of James? Others have said James is about good works rather than Paul's insistence on divine grace. And in the 4th century, the church historian Eusebius relegated it to the category of writings he called contested. In the 16th century, Martin Luther famously described James as an epistle of straw. And yet, in the end, James did make it into the canon of the New Testament. And I'm glad it did, because of how inherently practical it is in its challenge to us to live by faith and not just talk about it. To listen to God and to live out our faith in the everyday, not just the Sunday, but the everyday of the week. You look at James, that first chapter, it's full of ideas, and yet it's like he's putting all his ideas in that first chapter that he later picks up, as you would in in writing a symphony, and looks at them in more detail. But his practical and ethical emphasis. Remember that life and faith are given by God. Instead of being caught up in the petard of our own self-analysis, We are called not to self-improvement or self-righteousness, but to following Christ in our everyday life. And working out what that means to follow Christ. Faithfulness, we look at James, doesn't necessarily mean that we are to be heroic in our faith. It means being faithful. Faithful. When we read James, we realize that Sunday is not necessarily the most important or the only day in the the Christian's life. The Christian path is a way of life and not just a construct. James writes a letter about real things, about trials and temptations. He writes about the partiality, the possibility of being partial to the rich and oppressing the poor. He writes about the importance of listening rather than always talking. Of doing rather than just speaking. And the need for a wisdom that's different from the wisdom of the world. It's about an everyday faith that we live by. And in our groups, in our church, in our friendships, can we help each other this year to live by faith? To see what difference it makes because we follow Christ. Kierkegaard wrote a prayer that maybe can help us. Lord, give us weak eyes for the things that do not matter. And eyes full of clarity in all your truth. Eyes to see as God sees. To see all of life as God given. To see that nothing is ordinary, but everything is God given and has value and beauty all around us. Doing an honest day's work. Kissing our wife goodbye. Eating lunch with a friend. Hearing the wind in the trees. Taking our children to school. In and through everything. In our tasting. In our listening. To know that God is with us and God has given us that life. Maybe this year it is good to think about what we're going to do. But it's more important about who we are and who we are as a people together. Allowing God to change us from the inside out and saying, God, I want to give you this year. I want you to be at work in my life, helping change me as well as me in my busyness and in my energy and my plans and in my goals. God, change me. Change my character. Make me more like you. Gordon MacDonald tells a story of being at Hong Kong Airport and being stranded there. He flew in and was changing planes and the airplane was double booked and he found himself stranded in Hong Kong Airport. He was told it was a long wait, and they didn't know when he'd get him on the next plane. He sat down to somebody he got chatting, and the two of them were in the same boat. They both had seemingly a long wait. Except that the guy next to him was clearly accustomed to international travel and, and things changing. And suddenly, this, this guy next to him got up and approached the check-in staff. The conversation he had was more than just a little vigorous. And when he returned, he was holding a boarding pass. He said to Gordon MacDonald, he said, let me tell you how it works. I went over there and gave them every bit of profanity I knew. I told him what I thought of the airline. I would never fly with it again. I would tell everybody not to fly in it. I demanded a seat, and there, there you go. So you go over there and do the same thing, and you might just be as lucky. Gordon MacDonald approached the same staff and said, I've been told that I've, if I get mean and nasty... Um, you'll give me a boarding pass. Now, frankly, I'm not that kind of guy. I don't believe in swearing at people and belittling them. Nevertheless, I could do with getting home. I really could. Could you help me? I'll see, came the reply from behind the desk. And he returns to the seat optimistic, hopeful, expecting to be able to say to his friend, see, there's a better way of doing things, of getting things done. And maybe it's even a chance to chat with, with him about Christian faith. but his friend boarded the plane, whereas Gordon MacDonald spent the next day and a half in Hong Kong. The moral character doesn't always result in the kind of success we want. We develop character not for for his reason, but because it is the right way, the way of pleasing God. This year, in all that we are, we want to be people of integrity. People who live lives to please God. People that listen to others. People that live in ways that are true to what we say. That our words we speak are our words, they come from our hearts. That we put into practice all that we want to be. Living by faith, a practical faith. I had a conversation with someone this week who's had a horrendous summer. Really, um, their job situation had changed and it was far from easy. Her parents were poorly, but she was poorly. And she didn't want to tell her parents how poorly she was. And yet at the end of the conversation, she said to me, As I look over my life, I see that God has been with me in and through all of this and has taken me to the point I am. When she said this, there was a gratitude about her. There was a confidence and a trust that her life was with God and there could be no other way, despite all the ups and downs. A God who opened new vistas and perspectives through pain and confusion. I marveled at her integrity and her trust and her faith in God. But here I saw God was cultivating Christian character of perseverance, of faithfulness, Of love. What about this year? Living practical lives and God at work in us from the inside out. In this chapter, then, James warns us about self deception, the power of deceiving ourselves. We don't want to go to the other extreme of being obsessive in our self analysis. May in the year ahead, God, help us to jump with joy. But may the Spirit of God give us more self-understanding and less self-consciousness for a life of faith that is more faultless and less worthless. Here's a prayer that we sometimes use that comes from the Church of Scotland. God, set your blessing upon us as we begin this day together. Confirm in us the truth by which we rightly live. Confront us with the truth from which we wrongly turn as we offer this day and ourselves for you and to you. Amen.